to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abram's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that, we'll, you sh that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abram's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abram is our father, they answered. If you were Abram's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abram did, as it is. You are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abram did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you do not belong to God. Sure. Counterfeiting is a global scourge costing the world an eye-watering 5.7 trillion rand per annum. It costs South Africa 4 billion rand per annum in lost import duties. 4 billion rand is enough to build 25,000 RDP houses or provide childcare grants to more than 12.1 million beneficiaries or to provide old age grants to 3.2 million pensioners every year. Jesus, in this passage, is going to expose spiritual counterfeits. And there may be some here this morning. There are many who say that they believe in Jesus. Many in churches around our country this morning who say that they believe in Jesus. Many who make some kind of intellectual assent to Jesus but haven't ever really put their faith in him and are spiritual counterfeits. This passage is really about what genuine faith in Jesus looks like. And aren't we sick of inauthentic counterfeit religion? I hope you're sick of that. And so the passage really raises the question of genuineness. Who are the real disciples of Jesus? And it's going to give us really a checklist for us to examine our own hearts against this morning and perhaps to be rebuked or encouraged 
or warned or drawn back to our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Let's remember where we are. Chapter 8 of John, Jesus is speaking at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, a great Jewish celebration remembering the Exodus. Uh, Last week, if you were here, you saw that Jesus said some very incendiary things about himself and about us. Uh, In verse 12, he calls himself the light of the world. Um, He refers to himself in verses 12 and verse 28 by the sacred name of God, I am. Um, In verse 23, he claims to have to be from a different world, from above, and we are from below. And his view of us is equally provocative last week. He claims that without him we are from below, verse 23, that without him we walk in darkness, verse 12, and without him we cannot know God, verse 19. And the response to Jesus' teaching last week is verse 30, which is the verse just before the one that Leon read for us this morning. I'll read it for you. John 8 and verse 30. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. That was the response last week. And so in verse 31, our reading today, he now turns to speak to those who claim to believe in him. To the Jews who had believed in him. Jesus said. But there's a problem. You you don't have to read for very long before discovering that there is a problem with those that Jesus is addressing. Look at verse 34, for example, if you have the passage open in front of you, or if we can get it on the screen. Thank you, Dirk. I, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, saying it to the group who professed faith in him. Uh, Look at verse 37. He claims that they are indifferent to his word. You are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. This is the group who, we are told in verse 30, believed in him. In verse 44, um, he calls them children of the devil. Extraordinary thing to say, murderers and liars like their father, the devil. And uh, later on, near the end of chapter 8, we are told that they were guilty of attempting to murder Jesus. They go from, in verse 30, believing, we are told, believing in Jesus, to, in verse 59, plotting his death. They're not genuine. They're inauthentic disciples of Jesus. Oh, they were religious, they were churchgoers, they were good, upright, moral people, they were excellent citizens in their society, moral paragons in many ways, and they say they believe in Jesus, but actually they want to kill him. And so there's great warning in this passage for us this morning, because we are in church We are people who would consider ourselves to engage in organized religion. We are the ones who, if you asked us, would say, yes, we believe in Jesus. And yet what this passage shows us is that it's an easy thing to say. Jesus is going to put his finger on some raw nerves for us this morning. And so let's look at three genuine marks of those who truly 
authentically belong to Jesus this morning. First of all, they are those with a new authority. They are those who submit to a new authority. Verse 31 and verse 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That is, if you continue in my word, if you persevere, if you keep believing what I have said to you, then you are my true disciple. That is the mark of real discipleship, is that there is a new authority in your life, and you continue and remain and hold on to that new authority. That is the words of Jesus. The tense of what Jesus says here in verse 31 is interesting. It's if you continue holding to my teaching. It's in the continuous. It's not if you once held onto my teaching. It's not if you, when you were 15, you went on a youth camp and you made a profession of faith holding onto my teaching. It's are you believing Jesus now, today, as you sit here? That's quite challenging, isn't it? Because many of us put our trust in a commitment that we once made in the past, but Jesus won't let us be so comfortable. Are you holding on to my teaching now, today? Are you still believing it? Going back to the past can often just be sterile spiritually, can't it? And lead to an, an inauthenticity in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus is interested in what are you doing today? Are you continuing in the truth? Are you persevering as somebody who is holding to the teaching of Jesus? Are you remaining in the teaching of Jesus? For the person who is really my disciple is the person who is in their element when they are in my word. It's an important uh, item on the checklist for us, an important test of authenticity in our world. Look at the warnings that come in the later New Testament about the word of Jesus. Here's 1 Timothy chapter 6. If anyone teaches uh, false doctrines, let me read it from the screen. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. And 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. There is an inbuilt expectation in the New Testament that there is something about those who claim to be followers of Jesus that can draw them away from the words of Jesus. They can become interested in other things they can start perhaps to be a little bit embarrassed about some of the teachings of Jesus. For some of his teachings are unpalatable to our world today and to the culture in which we swim and move and have our being. What about Jesus' view of sexual ethics in our culture today? It's a bit embarrassing, really. I was speaking yesterday to an old friend of mine <clears throat> who I grew up with in Cape Town, but who's now, who's lived in the UK for decades, and is part of the Church of England there, and has made his way up the ladder to become an archdeacon. I call him my archdemon. 
He's an archdeacon. Now, an archdeacon is like an assistant bishop who looks after a number of churches and answers to the bishop. And he was, he's a Bible believer who, who is holding to the words of Jesus. But in a, in a church that has largely turned its back on the words of Jesus and who wants to take on all of the latest cultural fashions and norms, and he is there um, on his own sometimes in meetings with other bishops and archdemons. I think Jesus would call them archdemons after today's passage, wouldn't you? Your father is the devil. For they've let go. They've not held fast. And I wonder if uh, where you would put yourself in that story. The mark of authenticity, somebody who Christ has entrusted himself to, that person has an unwavering commitment to his word, come what may. I've said this to you before from this pulpit, and I'll say it again, but the primary Christian experience, how would you answer the question, what is the primary Christian experience? The answer is hearing the word of Jesus and believing it. I wonder if you've had that experience. And so however weak or however frail or however limited, however sinful we are, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free if you hold to the word of Jesus. Can I just be clear about this, friends? I'm, I'm trying to think of fresh ways of saying this because I know that many in the room today believe this and, and actually embody this in their lives. And that's a wonder, it's wonderful to be part of a community of authenticity. <clears throat> but I want to be clear about this. We do not believe that the Bible contains God's word. We believe that the Bible is God's word. I met a pastor once who said to me, I believe that the Bible contains God's word. I said to him, well, who decides which bits are and which bits aren't? It's an untenable position to hold. No, we want to be those who hold to the teachings of Jesus so that we can be authentic and genuine disciples. And so authenticity is seen by the submission to a new authority, the word of Jesus. Secondly, it's seen by a new freedom which comes from being a true disciple of Jesus. Verse 33, we are Abraham's descendants. What do you think they meant when they said and have never been slaves of anyone? It's an extraordinary lapse of reason in that moment, isn't it? Remember, they've just at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, which celebrated them being rescued from slavery, from Egypt. We've never been anybody's slaves, they say to Jesus. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus defines what he means in verse 34. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It's not a diagnosis that we like to hear <clears throat> because we feel free in our world, don't we? We feel like we are our own authority and that we can make our own choices. But Jesus' assessment of us is much more negative than that. Jesus' assessment is that we are slaves. If you sin, then you're a slave. 
Before Christ entrusted himself to me, I was a slave to sin. The mark of my slavery was that I kept failing to live up even to my own standards, never mind to God's standards. We do not become sinners because we commit sins. We commit sins because we are sinners in our hearts, in our beings, in our identity. And we are slaves. It's a very offensive thing to say to people who feel free, especially us at the end of the modern era. Nobody tells you what to do. You're the master of your own universe. It's a hard pill to swallow. And yet those who are the genuine disciples of Jesus receive that diagnosis. They accept it. The mark of authenticity in the Christian life is new freedom. We are no longer slaves, but sons. Everybody's looking for freedom in our world today. They want freedom from poverty or freedom from ignorance or freedom from the cares of life and freedom from many other things. The freedom that the Bible offers is freedom from sin, freedom from the consequences of sin, and freedom from the power of sin. That's what Jesus offers. Freedom from the bondage of self-centeredness. And before Jesus came into your life, you were a helpless slave who just kept obeying your selfishness. Now, it doesn't mean that we aren't selfish anymore as Christians, but it does mean that it now bothers us. Have you noticed that? There's a new fight that has begun in your heart as we fight with the sin that we are now growing to hate and loathe. Our desires are changing. That's because of Jesus. True freedom is not the liberty to do anything that we please. It is the liberty to do what we ought to do. And it's genuine freedom because doing what we ought to do now is what pleases us and what we long for. Our desires have changed when we've come to know Jesus authentically. The difference that Jesus makes to your life is the difference between being a slave and being a son. Look at verse 35. Jesus says, um, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so we move from being slaves to being the children of God. What an incredible freedom that is. What a privilege it is. The nature of a slave is that he is to obey his master's commands with no hope of freedom or inheritance or joy. It's unbearable. It's burdensome. It's slavery. But the mark of authenticity in those who claim to follow Jesus is not slave slavery, but sonship, a new status, a new nature, a new spirit, a new family, a new other person-centered love for my new family and my new father. And if this new freedom has taken us from being slaves to being sons, then it means that we have a new father, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's such an important point that actually Jesus is going to unpack it in next week's passage from verse 48. And so we'll say more about that then. New authority, new freedom, and thirdly and lastly, a new love. 
verse 42 to the end. The third test of authenticity is a new love. Look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God has sent me. Can I ask you a very rude question? Do you love Jesus? Or you might say, well, I'm here on time at church. Doesn't that, I mean, I got up on a cold Sunday morning to come to, doesn't that show something? Doesn't it give me some kind of credit or brownie points with God? But Jesus is interested in this question, do you love him? I'm not asking if you love church or if you love the people who are here or the coffee afterwards or the singing. It's do you actually love the Lord Jesus Christ? What is the, how do you know if you love Jesus or not? It's very interesting how Jesus um, describes it. He says, um, why, look at verse 43, why is my language not clear to you? But why are you unable to hear what I say? You belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. What is the mark that you love Jesus? You hear him when he speaks. And you believe what he says. And so we come full circle back to new authority. The evidence that you love Jesus is that you hang on every word. And you have centralized his word. They don't hear him because they don't love him. If they don't love him, God is not their father. If God is not their father, then who is? Verse 44, the devil. You know, Jesus speaks in very binary terms, doesn't he, between either God is your father or the devil is your father. It's not like you're neutral. There is no neutrality with Jesus. He's extreme. He doesn't measure his words. If God is not your father, then the devil is your father. If you are an inauthentic disciple of Jesus, if on the outside it looks like you're the real thing, but actually on the inside you've got no room for his word, no love for Jesus, then the devil is your father. It's an extraordinary statement for Jesus to make. Don't kill the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. It's Jesus' own words. The children of God will so love the truth that they will believe in Jesus when they hear about him. The children of the devil, on the other hand, will be characterized by lies, and they will not be able to accept the truth precisely because it is the truth. It's an interesting thing. Some of us have got loved ones who don't know Jesus, who we have told many times about Jesus, and they just don't seem to get it. They can't seem to understand what it is that we are saying. We try to speak plainly and carefully and kindly to them. But they just the penny just never drops. Why is it? It's not because they're dumb. 
It's because the devil is their father. What an extraordinary thing to come to realize. It's a very chilling explanation of unbelief. It has to do with who your father is. Of course, there's no room in, for pride in those who do believe, for before Christ opened our eyes, we too were under the leadership and the fatherhood of the devil, were we not? We're not better than anybody else. Jesus asks a rhetorical question in verse 6. He says, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? It's a claim of his own sinlessness. And it is that sinlessness in our place on the cross that made it possible for us to change fathers from the devil to God. Has that happened for you, dear friend? Or does that, none of this make sense to you? Please come and ask and come and talk. I'd love to spend time with you if you would like to know more. But here is what authenticity looks like. We gladly hold to his teaching. We gratefully embrace his freedom. And we wholeheartedly love Jesus. Will you check your heart this morning against that checklist? For that is what authenticity and genuineness looks like in the Christian life. Now will you bow with me as we pray. Just going to give you a moment to reflect, perhaps on something that has been said this morning or read or sung. And maybe you want to say something fitting to the Lord in the privacy of your own heart and mind. Amen.